The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? Yeah, well, I started struggling with depression when I was 15, and that was less to do with the church or being queer and and more to do with my parents getting divorced. Mm -hmm. Um, Divorce is also, like, a big no-no in the Mormon faith. Okay. um, So it wasn't even just, like, the... The divorce itself is always going to be hard for kids, but mm-hmm. it's also the maybe ostracizing that could happen in the community and or threat of losing said community over getting a divorce. hundred percent. And when your entire faith is built on family and your family doesn't work, like there's just mm-hmm. this feeling of being an ultimate like failure, you know? And yeah, yeah I mean, my, both of my parents were working through a lot of relationship dynamics that weren't very healthy. So I just had a lot of sadness around that. Yeah. And that's when I first started struggling with like really bad depression and some self-harm and and eating disorder, like basically the whole like list of things. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Rachel Slauson. You guys are going to have to bear with my voice for this week because I am sick and I am also really frustrated. I don't know about you guys, but since the mask mandates have been lifted, I have gotten sick three times and I know that it's like a double-edged sword, right? Like the masks have kept us healthy. And also I haven't had a cold in so long that now we've gotten back to back. Last weekend, my kids had stomach flu. It hit all of us. And then we immediately got this cold and my butt is just getting kicked right now. I can't remember the last time I like lost my voice like this. It's crazy. And also I think it's just stress too. It's been a really big week. Evan moved out. It's crazy. I, yeah, it's, it's absolutely a wild, wild time. And it's almost like so much has happened in the last three months that it's like I'm not really having time to like process all of the blows, you know, like it's just like happening, like one thing after another, after another, after another, and it just starts happening. It's like a snowball effect. And I really do believe in like that our bodies sometimes slow us down so we can slow down. And so for the last couple of days, I've been going inward and doing like a lot of deep healing work on my psyche and on my heart. And it's been really powerful. So yeah, major shifts going on here right now. And good things too. You know, I shared with you guys on an Instagram live, get ready with me that I've been dating someone since December. I'll do a solo kind of episode, like dating update for y'all to get caught up on because I know that you have been following along throughout this whole dating journey since last May when we opened up and 
you know, it's, it's been an interesting experience to say the least, but I'm really happy. And I feel like I've wanted to kind of keep this a secret because it just feels so good to have it private. And I have no intention of sharing who this person is for a long time, if ever. We'll see where it goes. But yeah, anyway, speaking of dating, our guest this week, I wanted to date with her. And it's funny because I usually don't have dates come on the podcast, pick apart their brains for (laughs) an hour (laughs) and then go out to dinner with them after. But um, that's kind of how it worked out with with Rachel. So Rachel's story is really interesting. I actually had been following along with her on social media for a hot minute because she was the first openly bi Miss USA contestant or openly LGBTQ. And I really loved her story and how open she was about her mental health journey, what it was like growing up in the Mormon church and what her relationship is like now with a higher power. And we dive into all of this in the podcast, including her own open relationship. So when this was recorded, actually, I was still dating Chris. So this was like back in November. And then let's see, a couple months ago, we went on a date and we, um, we did kiss and it was you know, you're not supposed to kiss and tell, but I don't think she'd mind that I told you (laughs) that it was a great kiss. And I really enjoyed spending time with her. But Rachel's like a bit of a nomad where she like travels all the time and is super busy as am I. But she's actually in town, I believe this week. And I have every intention of hitting her up if I can kick this cold and taking her out to dinner again, because I had a great time. And she's just like a gem of a human. You know, when you meet people who are just like sweet as can fucking be, that is Rachel. She is just so, so kind hearted and lovely. I just want to say that I'm so grateful to this beautiful community who has really, you guys have wrapped your arms around me um, throughout this whole journey and been so sweet And all of your DMs just mean so much to me, even if I can't respond to every single one of them. So thank you. And we are doing all right. We're hanging in there. So with that, here is this week's episode with Rachel Slauson. Hi, it's so nice to see you. Thanks for coming on. Okay, so we matched on Bumble or Hinge. Hinge. I'm a Hinge girl. You're a Hinge girl. I'm a both just because I like to keep my options really open. (laughs) We matched on Hinge, but you and I had been following each other on social media for like a minute. And I, it took me a second to realize this, that I was talking because I was like, I've seen her face somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know where it is from (laughs) though. And then I did a little digging and I slid into your DMs and I'm like, do you believe in fate? I know this is corny. (laughs) (laughs) I know that this is going to sound like a cheesy pickup line, but no, I was literally talking to my assistant about having you on the podcast (laughs) because I mean, you being the first openly LGBTQ plus female to have a 
is it a Miss USA title? Mm-hmm. I was the first to compete at Miss USA openly. I'm sure there were many before I'm me. Sure, uh, oh, I'm sure. But <laughs> I just openly. took all the credit for the girls of the year And staff. in Utah. <laughs> yeah. Which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So I've wanted to get you on the podcast for a hot minute. And I would still like to take you out to dinner. <laughs> but <laughs> let's focus on the podcast okay. for now. So yeah, I'd love to like go back to what your life was like in Utah and like the earlier days, like pre-pageant. Or were you like a pageant kid from like the time you were four? I was definitely not a pageant kid. I really didn't feel like a girl until I was in pageants. Like I'm not to say I didn't love feminine things, but I just felt awkward and just Mm. like I didn't know how to really accept my femininity. So pageantry, like that's kind of what drew me into such like a hyper feminine world. Like it doesn't get more like hyper feminine than that. But yeah, I mean... That that just really is what drew me into it. It definitely was not my not my forte, you could say. Did you grow up Mormon? I did. Yeah, I wow. was raised Mormon. I was baptized when I was eight years old. I was practicing Mormonism even when I moved to LA when I was twenty one. And it wasn't until there was actually like a not a rule, but like something that changed in the church where LGBT kids couldn't get baptized, or sorry, kids couldn't get baptized if their parents were gay. So they weren't allowed to join the church if their parents were gay. And at the time, I was like, okay, I don't know if I really want to go to church anymore because this isn't like what I really believe like God would do. And they ended up changing that rule back. Like, that's not how it is now. I'm sure someone just kind of took over and was like, no, sir. (laughs) But um, there was a time when, yeah, you you couldn't like basically join the church until you were 18 if your parents were gay. And I just was kind of my final straw in leaving church. So you spent the vast majority of your life very, very Mormon. Like, I loved it. I went to church summer camp twice in one summer. Like <laughs> She was dedicated. I was dedicated. <laughs> what do you think? I, I when I, I don't know much about Mormonism. Mm-hmm. So, but I, outside of the fact that it feels a little bit more of like a loosely based Scientology to me. Like, is that, is it kind of culty or like what, what is it? that you think draws people into it and that you loved so much about it? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question because I definitely can see both sides. There was a time when I was super into it and a time when I was like kind of disillusioned. I don't know if cult is fully the right word. Maybe Mm -hmm. at one point. I don't know because I think, you know, everything's very like a living organism and it changes over time. And different churches can practice, I'm sure, probably like more strictly than yeah and and there's always an argument that every religion is a cult too because of like the buy into it i kind of (laughs) tend to i don't align myself with that i don't fully see it as a cult because there's like at this point in time not like this huge like evangelical leader that's like Mm. getting everyone hyped up like it's not like that as much but it's very institutionalized and it's very yeah it's there's just a lot of rules and a lot of things that kind of get embedded into your psyche that I think aren't always super healthy. What I loved about it was the community. Mm-hmm. Like to this day, I I don't have any community compared to what I had when I was it's a member hard. of that church. Like, you but had, I also feel like that's what they use to like keep people in it. Yeah, they, I mean, yes, for sure. But it's also like, you know, people are moving you at two in the morning to your new house. Like that doesn't happen mm-hmm. in LA. You hire movers. Yeah. So it's like, that's why you want to stay. <laughs> like yes. I haven't gotten casseroles when I've been sick in like months mm-hmm. <laughs> or no years, actually. Yeah. So there's, you know, it's a, it's actually really beautiful, the community that they've created. But that is what kind of keeps you in beliefs that might not always be super helpful yeah. for everyone, especially queer people. What do you think were some of the biggest beliefs that you developed as a result of, I won't say just Mormonism, but your your entire childhood experience that maybe affected you or that you have now to unpack later on in your life? 
The biggest thing that I feel like I've been unpacking is this idea that your worth is dependent on something that you do. Because in order to go to the temple, which is like that big, beautiful white building where they do like weddings and a bunch of other ceremonies, you have to be what's considered worthy to go there, which is like a very specific list of requirements, like no drinking, no sex before marriage, definitely nothing gay. And the list goes on, like having paid your tithing. And you, you basically get this list of steps and things you need to do to be considered worthy to go inside a building. And if you don't, if you're not worthy, like that doesn't feel good. Like you are clearly like a sinful person if you can't go in there, you know, when you're in it, that's how it feels. And I think when you have a list of things you have to do to feel worthy, you never just feel worthy. And, you know, as I started to develop my own relationship with Jesus, like which I still have, I remember just thinking like, the way Jesus loves is just so unconditional. There's it's it's for everyone. There's nothing that like you could do that Jesus would have not loved you for. So how is it that when I mess up or sin, I have this six-month repentance process where I have to go through all these steps to be worthy again in God's eyes. I'm like, that doesn't feel like how Jesus loved. Jesus literally said, like, to women, to that adulteress, like, get up and just don't do this again. (laughs) You know, like, it was just so instant and unconditional. And yet, I feel like the church turned it into this, like, whole thing that, yeah, I think it it gave me a lot of self-worth issues. And it made me feel just like, I remember, like, I was just very psychologically messed up by it. There was a time in my life where— I literally used to say, okay, either the church is true or I should just kill myself because this is the only place I can find my worth. I want to jump back into the process of you becoming Miss Utah and coming out, but you do do a lot of advocacy, which I am so in alignment with and grateful for, for mental health. And yeah, I would love it if you could just give us some insight on like what your mental health journey looked like and the work that you're doing now. Yeah, well, I started struggling with depression when I was 15, and that was less to do with the church or being queer and and more to do with my parents getting divorced. Mm -hmm. Um, Divorce is also, like, a big no-no in the Mormon faith. Okay. um, So it wasn't even just, like, the— the divorce itself is always going to be hard for kids, but mm-hmm. it's also the maybe ostracizing that could happen in the community and or threat of losing said community over getting a divorce. 100%. And when your entire faith is built on family and your family doesn't work, like there's just this mm. feeling of being an ultimate failure, you know? And yeah, I mean, my, both my parents were working through a lot of relationship dynamics that weren't very healthy. So I just had a lot of sadness around that. And that's when I first started struggling with like really bad depression and some self-harm and, and eating disorder, like basically the whole like list of things, you know, abusing prescription drugs. Like it just kind of started to escalate from there. I also watched an episode of Skins, uh, you know, that show from the UK. No, not familiar. Um, it's like a show about kids with mental illnesses and okay. it, it kind of like encouraged me to be depressed. So. <laughs> <laughs> you were influenced. I was influenced. In the worst way possible. At the worst time possible. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So that's where it started. And then I just remember at that point in like in history, only like five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago, you yeah. know, mental health wasn't something people talked about at all. Like the shame that we deal with now compared to even ten years ago, like yeah. way worse, way, way, way worse, you know? So I just felt like I was just the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> like, yeah. Like just totally worthless for not only being crazy, but not being able to do anything about it. And I wasn't crazy. I was just in pain. 
Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about cheeks. I don't know about you all, but figuring out my sexuality, my sexual health, my sexual desires was something that didn't come easy for me. I did not receive comprehensive sex education as a kid. And the messages that I was getting from home were super confusing. And then add unethical porn on top of that. And it is a recipe for disaster. That's where Cheeks comes in. It is a subscription-based sexual wellness platform that offers authentic adult films and tutorials, erotic audio stories, plus educational workshops and articles on sexual wellness. Cheeks offers sexual entertainment plus education. They want to inspire their members, but also educate them on how to achieve a better sexual life with educational workshops and articles. Cheeks offers ethical and fair porn that is so huge, you guys. I can't even tell you. I'm so happy to hear that the industry is moving in this direction where performers and everyone involved are treated fairly. Real and authentic sex is depicted on Cheeks. All bodies, genders, skin colors are included. Cheeks offers female-friendly porn that doesn't give you that ick. And it also offers modern and delicate aesthetic that won't make you want to delete it from your browser history. With my code recovering, you can access Cheeks for free for 14 days when you select the annual subscription Description option. If you feel like it's not right for you, you can cancel at any time during the trial period. So go to getcheeks, that's G-E-T-C-H-E-E-X.com, or click the link in the episode description and use code recovering to access the promo. Again, that's getcheeks.com using code recovering. Hey friends, my name's Olivia Perez, and I'm an entrepreneur, journalist, and the host of the Friend of a Friend podcast. Every Monday, I meet with some of today's youngest and brightest entrepreneurs to make space to tell their stories and shine a light on who I believe to be the next generation of luminaries. I'll interview up-and-comers and game changers from brand builders to personalities, activists, artists, and thought leaders from around the world. Each episode lets you be a fly on the wall during one of the greatest pep talks, like a conversation between you and a friend or a friend of a friend. See you there. Why weren't you able to do anything about it? Is it against the your religion to be out about these types of things or medication? Or um, actually, no, no, I, I don't. I mean, I don't think so. I definitely got a lot of people in my close family telling me that I was struggling with my mental health because mm-hmm. I wasn't being obedient enough. Mm-hmm. Like if I prayed more or if I read my scriptures more, that God would bless me and my brain wouldn't be sick. Um, I got some of that, but overall, like the Mormon faith is very pro science and like. Yeah, apart from abortion, but that's a whole separate topic. Yeah, no, it's so interesting because my husband just wrote a book and he came on the podcast a little bit ago and we were literally talking about this, like how religion like just warps our minds into thinking that like if we're good, then we must then we'll be in God's favor. Mm -hmm. But if something bad happens to us, then we must have done, it's like the book of Job, right? Like he must have done something wrong. And he's like, no, I've been nothing but faithful. It's this whole idea that like good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Mm -hmm. And the world is just so much more gray than that. It's not black or white. Bad things happen to good people all all the time. time. Yeah, all the time. And I think I definitely, all of those different experiences I was going through were in a very brief period of time mm-hmm. and I made all of it my fault. Mm. So, you know, that that's my responsibility is, is that I, I chose that. I interpreted it that way. Now I was a kid, so could I have done better? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the story that I created. Yeah. 
So you're going through this period of depression and what helped you get out of that? To be completely honest, I had it had to get a lot worse before it got better. That's usually the case. Yeah. So I've had a I've had a couple moments where fortunately I've never struggled with addiction itself, but I've definitely coped very irresponsibly with drugs and I had multiple moments where I just hit rock bottom, like like losing everything at once a couple times. And that just, I think it took a couple, it took that experience a few times to really understand, okay, like I have to value myself because no one can do it for me Yeah, <laughs> as much as I wish they could. Were you able to get into therapy or did you try medication? Yeah. Yeah. I still take some medication, pretty low dose, but I definitely have done a lot of therapy. I've been in a hospital a couple times, done coaching. Basically, if there was a healing modality, I've probably tried, tried it. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. People are like, what if you tried for your depression? I'm like, well, everything under the sun. Yeah. I've tried like non-invasive electroshock therapy. I've tried, I've literally tried it all. But I I think that we're both kind of probably on the same page that like our environment absolutely affects our mental health. So bad. And yeah. I'm sure that being in the LGBTQ community and not being able to be out also affected your mental health. Oh my goodness. I mean, that, so that's the the worthiness part. I feel like I've unpacked a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I still have some of that like automatic thinking pattern. Of course. But like, yeah. I don't think there's anything I have to do to be inherently worthy as a human being. With my sexuality, I, I still have no idea how yeah. to like fully express that because it was so repressed for so long that like, letting myself be with a woman who actually likes me is still like uncomfortable, Mm. you know, and I'm aware of that, you know, so that's good. But (laughs) like, it's definitely that's a place in my life where I feel like I'm really like focusing now, now that I have like at least basic confidence down. Yeah. Like really letting myself open up in that way. Absolutely. Which actually is how I found you. I I originally saw you on TikTok and you were posting about, you know, being in, you know, being in a relationship, but also being open with women. And that inspired me. And it's actually how I created the relationship I have now. So I'm in a relationship with a male partner who lets me totally express and explore myself with women. And you literally inspired that. <laughs> wow. So um, I also love that I'm totally going to take you on a date, but that we're like having this whole conversation. <laughs> I'm like, let me get into your psyche for an hour before I take you to dinner. No, but I love that. And I think that for me, coming out of the closet was top three hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. Like hands down. It's, I something that I had repressed for so long. Again, going back to this like programming and this purity culture, it's like I felt like because I was so in quotes bad before, right? That everyone viewed me as like a bad girl, bad person. She's awful. So bad. That I had, I know, (laughs) really. And then I had built up this like new life that looked so pure, right? And... I had to deconstruct all of my beliefs about that. So that way I could just take up as much space as I needed to and live in alignment with my truth, which is that I personally am not fulfilled being in a heteronormative relationship monogamously. I'm just not. And that was so hard to unpack. But once I did it and I came out, I was like, I'm going to become visible and I should be so much better on TikTok. Like I am the worst, but I'm glad that the few videos I have made have gone as big as they have, because I think it 
has opened up like a lot of people's minds to like, hey, some someone who's like already visible is out there doing this Mm -hmm. and it's it's okay. Yeah, I think it's definitely a huge permission slip. And I think if you don't see yeah. people modeling it, you don't even get to try to see what it is for you. you I didn't know? even know it was a possibility yeah. until yeah. a couple years ago. Yeah, for sure. Really, I didn't. I I would have no idea that, you know, I had heard about swingers. Yeah, to- that's totally. You know totally, what I mean? And yes. it's always about like swapping couples, mm-hmm. right? And it's like... Mm, that's not my vibe <laughs> but you know you cannot touch him <laughs> no you can go ahead and I, touch him all kidding. you want I just don't want to be your husband's toy yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean and talk about like deconstructing just you know I had viewed sex and my sexuality I got married when I was I got together with Evan when I was 19 and married oh, wow. when I was 20 we've been met together for 11 years wow it's like a long time long time so talk about like looking having to explore relationships and unpacking my beliefs around lesbian or whatever gay relationships right it was it was a lot of work like just the inherent like biases that I had had the amount of stuff that I just was unaware about it's Mm -hmm. been quite the journey well and I think you know especially bisexual people are so out there. There's so many of them. Mm -hmm. Like it's the majority of the queer community. And yet it's one of the most quiet, I think. Mm -hmm. One of the most invisible. Maybe that's not true, but that's just been my experience. No, I I believe that's true. So I feel like finding people to even really express and explore that when you're not really out there with it is challenging. Like I feel like you almost have to be like, hi, I'm here (laughs) to even meet people. Even even though like literally there could be 40 bi people living in your same apartment complex like you would just never know by erasure is a very real thing and I think that just because we're still living in a patriarchy and a society that values hetero relationships over queer relationships women and I feel like this is shifting women used to have to marry men for security safety financial abundance they couldn't open a bank account without a man's approval you know what I mean they couldn't own a house they couldn't rent an apartment they couldn't all of the things right and so we were like conditioned to have to be with men and I think that for a lot of bi women we tend to end up with male partners One, because of that programming around the fact that like somehow men are safer safer than women or provide more safety and security, I should say. Not they're not at all safer, but they provide more (laughs) physical safety and security and resources, right? That's the belief. Mm -hmm. And also that like that by visibility is just not there. Like I know that for me now as an adult, like who having these conversations with friends that sexuality is so much a spectrum. I don't even like the labels anymore. I don't identify as like anything. I just identify as queer because just easier that way. Sometimes I feel like a total lesbian. Sometimes (laughs) I don't. But yeah, I think that like there is no real visibility for us. Mm -hmm. So let's go back real quick. Also, just to add in really quick. Add on top of that, being shown in Sunday on Sunday every week a picture of a man mm. and a woman standing outside a temple, yeah. like this is your ultimate goal in life. Yes, Ding. and <laughs> as young girls, we're so conditioned to become good wives, mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah. I still I still have times like there was before I started dating Michael, like there were other, mm-hmm. you know, guys I would I was dating and I still was like, do I cook for you? Like, what do I do? I need to like, do I do you want me to straighten your tie? Like so many little yeah. things that I like started hating myself for because I'm like this isn't even this isn't me. Like, yeah. This is just something I'm modeling. <laughs> now, I have a question because yes. I feel like this is something that comes up a lot in the open community. And it's something that really made me think and and something that's come up in my relationship a number of times. And that is that oftentimes men are okay with their bisexual girlfriends or wives exploring with other girls, but not with other guys because they inherently don't see women as a threat to their relationship. (laughs) They, they only see men. <laughs> they absolutely should, as they do women. And I know mm. this, you know, is it's come up in my relationship. Evan has even admitted he was like, it it is sexist and misogynistic. But I I do not see, you know, uh, women as much of a threat as I would, or have feelings about this as I would if you were with a man. Is that something that you've unpacked in your relationship are you able to go and explore with men too is that like totally not even a thing it's funny you say that because I actually usually say I'm in a half open relationship meaning that I'm allowed to date women and he's not oh (laughs) okay but you know what to be fair he is allowed to date men it's not my fault that that's not his preference (laughs) (laughs) hey everyone gets to construct their relationships (laughs) how they want to and and I'm, I'm serious if he really wanted to date men I would like I wouldn't feel threatened at all I'd be very supportive but I am kind of like my own version of sexist that I would feel threatened if he was dating women even though I'm dating women it takes time to unpack that yeah And I mean, we've only been together a year. I was going to say, it's a little different because Evan and I built a foundation over a decade before we opened. And I know that what we have, like that our foundation is strong and I could not have, and I say this all the time, gone into this relationship and just been open Mm -hmm. from the beginning. Yeah. Couldn't have done it. I still am working on my own things with trust and safety and like, I'm sure at some point that I would be totally excited for him. I'm just not there yet. And that's fine. I love that you can like admit that. Okay. So at what point did you decide to start doing pageants? I was 18 or 19, right around there. And I met Marissa Powell and thought she was the most beautiful creature to have ever graced (laughs) the world. Mm -hmm. And you honestly look a lot like her. So (laughs) look her up. But she was just so beautiful and so confident. And again, that was a time in my life where I was just feeling super insecure and awkward. And I was like, wait a minute, like, if I miss you, Todd, does that mean I'll be beautiful and confident? Mm. And yes, like that's true. It just took seven years and lots of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. We always think that the thing, if we achieve that thing that we're going to reach that level of confidence or like just self-assurance and that's yeah, just not the case. Not the case. I mean, even when I was crowned, I felt like an imposter. You know, I was like, mm. the, it, they only picked me because I'm the queer one. Like I'm not actually like pretty enough to be here. I'm not actually like you know, there's still all those feelings like when you get what you want, if you don't do the work. So a lot of my confidence actually has come in the last year and a half of getting everything I want and realizing none of that will make me whole and then having to start over. Yeah. So did you go into um, the competition openly out? I had come out to my family and on social media the summer before So it was out there, but the pageant community is a whole different situation. Like, it's definitely much more conservative, which we can get into because 
there, I have thoughts on that. <laughs> but it's, All right, let's get into it now. I want to hear. Okay, well, <laughs> I mean, the first trans contestant competed just this last week, and there was no mention of her at finals. Like, she didn't place, and there was not even a mention that she was there. They did mention it in prelims, but prelims isn't aired on live television. So, like, that I think should say basically everything about how the organization really feels about queer people. And when I was there, I also didn't place, even though I had gotten more press than Miss USA did that year. Again, press isn't everything with winning those pageants. There's a lot that goes into it. And there were definitely very, like, very qualified women that looked amazing and were, like, shining. But they had a five-second blurb. I'm the first openly LGBTQ Miss USA. I'm here. Like, that was in, in the live show. And that was it. There was no questions. No one asked me my opinion. No one said, what does it mean to you to be here? Like, nothing. Those, those questions were asked off screen, but they were never actually aired anywhere, which I'm like, that's great that your TV producer knows what it means for the queer community. But there's also like millions of people out there that probably would have wanted to hear something. So, yeah, I'm sure that's hard. And it also and I know that for me, this really comes up a lot is it's like, I just want you to see me like mm -hmm. see me and hold space for me and like acknowledge my existence. Mm -hmm. And so when you're a part of a community that's so repressive of that, I can't imagine that that would be an easy experience. No, I mean, I, I thought I would do well. I honestly thought I would at least make top five. Like, because again, I had done so much for the organization throughout the year. I'd been on Good Morning America. Like I had brought them so much press that I thought, okay, bare minimum, they have to at least let me like, be in top five, say something for the press. Like th this is thinking very like marketing wise, strategically, right? I'm like, they can't not let me have a, a, my moment to speak, right? Nope. And I didn't necessarily think I would win, really. Like I was hoping, obviously. But yeah, I think that was definitely a surprise to me because I'm like, okay, clearly the world really needs to hear this message. It wouldn't be talk being talked about otherwise. But why is this organization that claims to support queer women, that claims to support trans women, not actually like giving them a really a platform? Now, granted, you know, this is also I'm in the heat of just having watched Miss USA. So clearly it's like fresh because the organization did let me win my state title, you know. So clearly there is room there. And I think it just needs a little more like a little more warming up, I guess. Yeah. I think visibility is really important. Mm -hmm. And, and I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. You know, I think yeah. it's, it's so easy to say, well, you know, she just won because she was queer or she just wanted to win because she was queer. But the truth is, like you said, it's about being seen and heard. And in a world where even to this day, like, yes, it, being queer has never been more accepted and still it has never been more shunned. You know, like, yeah. I think it was more just feeling like I finally got the microphone and then it wasn't actually given to me. So mm -hmm. that's kind of more what I what I think I was feeling there. When did you start dating women? So I actually started dating women five years ago. Before I came out, I started going on dates with women. And it's funny, I'm actually meeting up with my friend Allie later today, who's, we're just friends, but she's like, she was my first date, my first kiss. Mm -hmm. And we've had like a really beautiful friendship since. But she, like, she was my first like person I really dated. And that was again, before I came out and I was not ready like, I still was really struggling with inner homophobia. Yeah. I didn't talk to her for, like, a year after, like, our first few dates. And then finally we became friends. But it took me a while to really be, like, out and dating. Like, that was probably not until, like, three years ago. Like, right when I came out is when I started, like, actually dating. For you, you know, and I know it's different for everybody who's in an open situation. But I'm just curious, like— 
what are the things that you've noticed that are so different about dating women versus men? <laughs> Way more scared of girls. Yeah. <laughs> like, guys, I'm like, okay, hey, what's yeah. up? Hey, you know, I, I feel like I figured that out. Girls, I'm like, hi, you're so pretty. Can I sit next to you? Okay, no, I wouldn't. I, I, yeah, I'm fine. I'll go. <laughs> like, I just, there's way more nerves there. I, I'm, I don't know if that's just because women are so beautiful. <laughs> like, how do you even comprehend that? I have gay that? panic, too, yeah. all the time. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, don't stare at her tits. Don't stare at her tits. Please, Alexis, just look up at the ceiling the whole time. No, I totally get that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think also part of it, like, I, I consider myself, like, I can be very dominant or submissive. Like, my energy is very fluid. And I think because of that, it's so beautiful. And I'm sure with like the right people, like even with my male partner, like we definitely have a lot of fluidity. But with women, I think it's the best part about it and also the scariest because I'm like, I don't know. Do I like sit here? Do I like do I try something? Like It's just so confusing to know how to express myself in that way because it's I'm, I'm not one way. I'm so fluid in, in the way that I express myself. So I think yeah. over time, that'll be like the best part of dating women. But right now, it's definitely the scariest. I tend to date women who are more dominant over me but Mm -hmm. then like the woman that I'm just having more casual experiences with and I'm still totally figuring this out I tend to be more of like a top (laughs) (laughs) and I don't know why that is like I'm still trying to figure this out I would say like the girl the the girl who I've been in a relationship with like we're definitely switch switches but Mm. yeah it's just different like figuring out what I want it's so interesting because when I first came out okay back up been hooking up with girls since I was like 12 but um (laughs) I mean you know same (laughs) yeah right like let's have a sleepover and play house I'll be the daddy (laughs) I don't know Um, if I got that far okay that was was almost my experience um but since coming out it's like when I first came out I thought that I was gonna want like the quintessential mask lesbian like mm-hmm. I was like I only want to date like girls that look like dudes mm-hmm. <laughs> and carry themselves like dudes mm-hmm. and you know everything else is a dude except for the parts right <laughs> and then I was like no I hate that like I <laughs> really really hate that and then I dated a girl for a minute that was like kind of in between mm-hmm. and that was fine and now I'm with this current girl that I've been dating and she's more like androgynous but what I'm figuring out is that like I don't really have a type Mm-hmm. Like I am attracted to like femmes and more androgynous girls and actually not even so much mask girls anymore. Mm-hmm. It would have to be like dependent on the person. <laughs> but it's definitely shifted for me over time. And I just think it's so interesting how like the more experiences I've had, the more like I want you to not only look like a girl, but carry yourself like mm-hmm. a girl. Yeah, that makes sense. I love femmes. <laughs> like 100%. <laughs> like that's what I'm into. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Femmes are the hardest to meet because they are. Because some for femmes is like rough. Yeah. Like, like there's not that many out there that no, are and down. Like, there's no like clubs for that. I mean, I think no, I actually no. think there are. I've heard of something called Skirt Club. I've never checked it out, but I think there are mm. like underground events and stuff. But it's not like you can just go out when you want and be like, oh, I'm going to the hot fem bar. There's no lesbian bars in LA. <laughs> well, and a lot of lesbian bars do not have femmes. The femmes don't come out. I don't know where they are. Really? At least that's what I found. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Femmes, where are you? Where are you, Femmes? We want to know. <laughs> now we love the masks. We yes. love that. Although I will say, like, on Bumble and Hinge, like, I predominantly see femme girls. Well, maybe I just need Bumble. <laughs> you need Bumble. Yeah. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to move to LA. We're going to get you situated and we're going to find <laughs> Bumble. Um, we're going to set up your Bumble and there 
all over the place. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, it's been like an interesting experience for sure. Mm. And I'm still kind of figuring out what, what I like. What are your goals now? In, in what dominion? <laughs> okay, for your career and f- especially for your advocacy and mental health. Well, those things come together because I'm actually a screenwriter as well. So I'm working on the film adaptation of Crank, which is the New York Times bestseller about a girl who gets hooked on meth. Mm. So that's kind of like the intersection of my mental health advocacy and then being creative. And then I'm also pursuing acting, which is part of why I'm coming back to L.A. So those are very interesting to me. And I do think I actually kind of want to I don't know if I can do this, but I'd love to circle away from mental health just a little bit. Even though it's always going to be like kind of the core of literally why I do everything. I think sometimes when you talk about something so much, it's like your whole reality. And I'm trying to just like actually just be healthy and happy. And like, I don't know, like this year I spent a lot of time literally just thinking about fashion and like nothing that had to do with mental health as much as possible because I just that I don't want that to be my whole life. You know, there is an aspect like once you've healed from something And I mean, this is my job possible for me to do it. (laughs) But I often remind people who I've coached or worked with for years, I'm like, you're not that person anymore. Mm -hmm. You've healed. And it's time to build the new person Mm -hmm. that you are who is not a victim to this anymore, but rather a survivor and who's now thriving. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of the issue that I had with AA and why I left the rooms after several years of being in them religiously, like Mm -hmm. multiple times a week, if not daily in the early years of my sobriety, it's not because I don't have a deep reverence or gratitude for that, but it's just like, I'm not that person anymore. And Mm -hmm. being here is just, I felt like in a way holding me back from becoming the person that I wanted to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel triggered talking about mental health or talking, especially not talking about somebody else's experience. Like I feel no burden from that and I enjoy it. I do think that's part of why I've had the experiences I've had to like actually be of service with them. But I also feel like there's just so much more to life than just talking about my trauma, you know, like my trauma is not my whole life. And I think like, I love the word you said, just thriving, like thriving can definitely mean uplifting others. Thriving can definitely mean sharing stories about how I got to thriving, (laughs) but thriving does not have to mean replaying my childhood trauma on on my social media even, like, for the rest of my life. And I'm yeah. I'm still learning how to do that because I'm like you where it's so rooted in who I am and what I stand for that I don't actually know how to do this <laughs> because everything comes back to wanting to help people learn how to love themselves. And the people I feel most called to serve are those who struggle with mental illness, especially queer people with mental illness. But I also think, like, there's nothing more inspiring, especially, like, Halsey is such a good example of this where she is a queer person who has openly struggled with mental illness, but she just makes music and she's just, like, I mean, she she talks about it, but she's really just doing her thing and enjoying her life. And I'd love to get into that season of my life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can everyone follow along with you? So I am on Instagram at Salty Rachel and I am on TikTok at Rachel Slauson. S-L-A-W-S-O-N. Perfect. Thank you. (laughs) This week's affirmation is my ability to conquer my challenges is limitless. My potential to succeed is infinite, and so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, follow along with us, leave a review. It means so much to me. There are new episodes of Recovering From Reality every Monday, and you can follow me on social at Recovering From Reality or visit my website, recoveringfromreality.com. 